You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. I invite you to return to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah 7. Page 571, if you're making use of the church's Bible, we'll be reading verses 1 through 17. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Josiah, king of Judah, Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told Syria is in league with Ephraim, The heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shearjashub, your son at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the way to the washer's field, and say to him, Be careful. Be quiet. Do not fear. Do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. At the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Ramalia, because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Ramalia has devised evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it. Let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tebio as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be broken to pieces, so that it will no longer be a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. If you're not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these holy and sacred words. Father, we look to you this morning that you would teach us, Father, from your word, for your word is truth. Father, open our hearts to your word and open your word, O Father, to our hearts. Change us, O Father. Pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Many in our culture recognize the words of verse 14 as one of those great Christmas texts 
you can still see them, these words, all over the place. Uh, last weekend, last Saturday, uh, Tammy and I took uh, three youngest, uh, the three girls, uh, Caroline and uh, Kylie and Anna up to Cranex. I don't know if some of you know about Cranex. I'm amazed how many people know about Cranex. I never heard of Cranex until this outing. Uh, but uh, those of you who've been there know that there's all these Christmas uh, uh, displays and what have you. And, and uh, as you go through all those displays, one of the last displays that are set up uh, really do have a lot of scripture verses and a lot of, a lot of things that really commemorate the true meaning of Christmas. And I notice that these words, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Uh, could be found in that display. And of course, these uh, verses, um, they're, they're around. And it's, it's one of the great verses of God's Word which always warms my soul with a flood of memories, many of which uh, are this time of the year. Uh, and I, I pray this for the kids and teenagers that are with us as well, that um, these memories are being formed in their hearts as well, that they're forming those memories, that God is molding and shaping them uh, with these memories so that their souls also are refreshed when they hear these words, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. It has a wonderful melody to it, doesn't it? You know, there are some orators... I'm thinking of one man in particular. I'll, I'll leave his name out, but he's, a, he's, he's from Ireland. Um, he, uh, in his voice, uh, you know, his name's Miles. His first name's Miles. Uh, when he speaks and when he reads Scripture, I like to listen to him do it, and he doesn't do it to show off. It's just it's, his heart is just, it's just where his heart is. But you can hear a melody, actually, in his reading. Um, there's a melody here in this wonderful promise. And this wonderful promise has a context. The context is not as well known as the verse. So this morning I want to spend some time developing this context, the context in which this melody, in which this promise, in which this sign rests, because until we grasp the context of this, we won't, will not grasp the significance of this. And if we don't grasp the significance of this, we're not going to be able to apply it to our lives. Does that make sense? So we want to apply it to our lives. So let's dig in. The context here is a very troubling context, actually. Um, if you look at verse 1, Isaiah 7, verse 1, we're informed of the time period. It's in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham. Now, we quickly see a time marker here, and if you're familiar with the sacred uh, history, uh, the the books of First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. You'll know there's a recurring line in those uh, in those pages that go like this: "In the days of," and it it's a time marker, it's a time frame, if you will. And uh, some of the times are good times, some of the times are great times, times of reform. Uh, some of the times are really bad times. Uh, some of the times are times of great apostasy. Our text tells us that Ahaz was the son of Jotham. And of course, the sacred history teaches us that Jotham 
was the son of a great king named Uzziah. Uzziah was a good king who enjoyed a very long reign. He began his reign when he was only 16 years old. Can you imagine being 16 years old and being king of a nation such as Israel? He reigned for 52 years, and the nation would have deeply mourned his death. They would have deeply mourned his death. He wasn't a perfect king. Towards the end, the pride got to him a little bit. He wasn't a perfect king. No kings are. No human kings. No human leaders are perfect. But he was a good one. And Israel would have mourned his death just as our nation has mourned the death of President Bush this week. I mean, by, by the way, has anyone watched any of the funeral, um, any of, the funeral um, of President Bush? Tammy and I, I think it was Wednesday night, I think we went home and saw on C-SPAN uh, part of, of, uh, of some of the, the funeral. In fact, we watched it. Um, we were so caught up in it that we lost some sleep over it. We, uh, and that's fine. Uh, when we first tuned in, the motorcade and a number of armed forces were gathered around. Um, President Bush's body was still in back of the hearse. And what, was, what really struck me was everyone was just standing there. The, the armed services were standing like this, and it was just complete. There was no activity. You know, it's just nothing. And I thought that was so great that there was just nothing. You know, the military can do a great funeral, by the way. I've had the privilege of being involved in, in two funeral funerals with the military at the National um, Cemetery down in Grafton, West Virginia. And I got to tell you, uh, the solemnness and the closure of those funerals is second to none. And they're standing there, and it's just, they're just like this. Nobody's doing anything, which is so appropriate. And it went on for a while, didn't it, Tim? It went on for a while, and then finally it was broken, and then they, they took their time. No one's in a hurry going into the church, and the eulogies, the eulogies were really good. It was so wonderful to hear all these passages of Scripture read on TV. Uh, and, and the passages were so, so uh, appropriate for the event. Uh, it, was, it was amazing. Isaiah was not a perfect king. He had his flaws as all kings do, but he was a good king. When Uzziah died, his son Jotham took his place. And 2 Kings 15.34 tells us that Jotham did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that his father Uzziah had done. These are two very good kings. I point that out to you because good kings are a blessing to their country, just as good leaders are a blessing to their people. Bad leaders, well, bad leaders, quite frankly, are a curse to a people. And while Uzziah and Jotham were good kings, good leaders, Ahaz here is a different story. Ahaz is the son of Jotham, grandson of Uzziah. He's only 20 years old, by the way, when he assumes the throne of his father. He's only 20 years old, probably only 20 years old in our text. Probably not more than 21 years old in our text. 2 Kings 16.2 tells us that Ahaz did, did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God. And verse 3 tells us that he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Now, on the international front, there's great trouble brewing. To the northeast, the nation, and this can be confusing unless I enunciate this really carefully, we have two 
nations here, and they sound almost exactly alike. You have one that is Assyria with an A in front of it. You have the other one, which is Syria with an S in front of it. Now, Assyria is a nation that is really growing in, in strength. It's growing in ferocity. They're a ferocious, ferocious people. They have an intense army. Uh, they're on a campaign to take over the whole known world. And, of course, as is often the case, when you have a common enemy of the magnitude of growing Assyria, it can sometimes bring people who would otherwise be enemies uh, together. And that is the case with Syria with an S and Israel. Normally, they would be at each other's throats. But because of the growing threat of Assyria, they get together and they say to themselves, listen, uh, let's put our differences aside. You and I, we have a bigger problem than each other. Uh, we need to align together here or Assyria is going to come in and swallow us whole. And the reasoning, of course, is like this. We're stronger together than we are apart. Now, Syria and Israel, they look to their neighbor in the south, Judah. And as you think about this, think in your mind, you have Judah in the south. You have Israel above Judah. You have Syria above Israel. And then you have Assyria off to the east. Now, if Assyria is going to grow, if they're going to expand towards Egypt, they're going to go through Syria, through Israel, before they ever get to Judah. So who do you think is most worried about this? Probably the ones that are closest to Assyria, which would be Syria. Syria and Israel get together and they think, you know what, we're, we're stronger together. Let's, let's call up Judah. Let's see if we can get over our differences with Judah and see if Judah will join with us. Well, Judah is refusing. This infuriates Israel and Syria. And so they threaten to evade Ahaz if he, if he continues to refuse to join their alliance. And that takes us to verse 1. In the, days of, in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syrian, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it. But they could not yet mount an attack against it. What are they up to? Well, they're making good on their promise. You're going to join our alliance or we're going to invade. Now, how does Ahaz respond to this? Ahaz's response is very instructive, by the way. Look at verse 2. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim. Ephraim is a name for Israel, by the way. Just, just think Israel there. Syria is in league with Ephraim. The heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. That's their response. Their response is a response of anxiety. They're scared out of their wits. In fact, they're as anxious as it gets. We're told that the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Now, what's going on here? On the surface, we might say, well, there's two powerful armies attempting, doing everything they can to invade. That's what's going on here. Well, yeah, that's, that's one, that's, yes, that's going on, but there's much more going on here than that. Romans 6 teaches us that the wages of sin is death. So sin is like a powerful boss man, if you will. Think of a, a powerful boss man 
who pays his subjects with death. That's what that verse teaches. The wages of sin is death. Now, um, wickedness and righteousness pay another salary, maybe one we don't think of so much, but the other salary that wickedness and unrighteousness pay is anxiety. Anxiety. Sin is like a powerful boss man, a boss man who pays his subjects with anxiety. You know, we can think about as kids when we were involved in things that we knew we shouldn't be involved in and our parents said, well, I want to talk with you. Um, if you weren't involved in anything you weren't supposed to be involved in, that wasn't no big deal. But if you had a whole little list of stuff you shouldn't have been doing, well, that's a big deal, isn't it? What did it cause? Caused anxiety. Caused anxiety. Because it's one of the wages that sin earns for us is anxiety. The Lord has impregnated in our hearts two very, very important things. It's important we realize this about ourselves. One is the knowledge of His existence. We get this from Romans 1 and verse 19, which reads, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Knowledge of His existence is something that's been impregnated in every human heart. The second thing that's been impregnated in every human heart is eternity. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has put eternity in a man's hearts. That's something we need to know about ourselves. One, we know that God exists. Two, we know about eternity. Now, what kind of effects does this dual knowledge about ourselves have when we're not living for God? Or when we're living in a way that we know is not pleasing to God? What effect does it have? Well, it creates, it creates anxiety. And there is no modern counseling method. There's no modern exercise program that's going to deal with that. Because this is God's design. We can't stand in a pharmacy line and take care of this one. Let's analyze this a little further. One of our greatest sins is a sin of unbelief. Proverbs 28.1 teaches us what we see every day. It reads, quote, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. I'll read that again. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Elsewhere, God's Word teaches us the wicked flee over a rustling leaf. It's a graphic picture of the same thing being said, isn't it? The wicked flee when no one pursues. When we hear the wicked, we're tempted to think of the worst of humanity. We're tempted to think of the real bad guys, the mass murderers, the, the, uh, the, the mass evildoers. But the Scripture uses the word to describe unbelief. And of course, that would include mass murderers. That would include the really bad guys, terrorists and the like. But it also includes unbelief. The word wicked, the way the Bible uses it, describes common, ordinary, garden variety unbelief. Unbelief is wicked. And unbelief, like our boss man, also pays wages. It pays the salary of anxiety 
It also pays the wages of idolatry. Idolatry. Why is, why is Ahaz so anxious? Well, unbelief leads to idolatry. Why does unbelief lead to idolatry? Because we have to believe in something. There is not a person alive who doesn't believe in something. We were created to believe in something. And we all believe in something. This is how God has created us. And if we do not believe in Christ, then we'll have to put our trust in something else. And it could be money. It could be government, sports. There's just no end. Why is, A Why is Ahaz so anxious? Why are the people so anxious? It's for the same reason that people are so anxious today. It's because they don't believe there's anybody protecting them. If you don't believe any, there's anybody or anyone out there protecting you, you're going to be anxious. That's the way it is. Today it's widely held and it doesn't matter what God you serve, just as long as you're insincere in your worship of that God. Don't think for a moment that Ahaz is an atheist. He's not an atheist. Ahaz is a very religious man. He has his gods. And don't think for a moment that Ahaz is not sincere with the worship of his gods. He offered his sons as a sacrifice to his gods. That's pretty sincere. It's pretty sick. But it's also pretty sincere, isn't it? The people have their gods. They're worshiping their gods. They're sincere in this worship. Worship per se is not the issue. The issue is they're worshiping other gods. The issue is they're not worshiping the true God, the only God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God who revealed Himself has revealed Himself in His Word. The God who has presented Himself in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the problem. It's not worship. They're worshiping. They're just not worshiping God. And Ahaz and his people are guilty of idolatry. And idolatry is worshiping something. It could be anything. Idolatry is worshiping something other than the true God through Christ. And this really provokes the Lord's anger. Why is Assyria such a problem? Why is Assyria growing? Why is Assyria bent on conquering the whole world? Well, it's because God is raising them. God is raising Assyria. Part of the context of a given passage isn't just what comes before the passage. It's also what comes after the passage. And if you look at chapter 7, verses 18 through 20, you read these words. Verse 18, In that day the Lord will whistle for the fly that is at the end of the streams of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of where? Assyria. And they will come and settle in the steep ravines and clefts of the rocks and on all the thorn bushes and on all the pastures. In that day, the Lord, you see that? The Lord will shave with a razor that is hired beyond the river with the king of Assyria, the head and the hair of the feet, and it will sweep away the beard also. What is Isaiah saying to us? Isaiah is saying that the Lord is raising Assyria. And that Assyria is going to be his instrument in his hand for the judgment of the idolatry of Israel. 
Now, when idolatry gets you into a mess, more idolatry is not going to get you out of the mess. If idolatry gets you in the mess, more idolatry is not going to get you out of the mess. It's going to get you in a bigger mess. So it's because of idolatry that they have this problem. They can gang together, and they can go down, and they can beat up Judah or try to beat up Judah. But this is something the Lord's doing. The Lord is sovereign over the nations. Daniel teaches us that, doesn't he? A significant part of the covenant blessing was peace, protection from other nations. But now that the covenant has been breached by idolatry, God's hedges of protection are coming down. But back to, back to Ahaz, I, I think I see him trembling in his shoes. Why? Because Syria and Israel are threatening to evade. What does the Lord do? Look at verse 3. The Lord sends Isaiah to speak with Ahaz. What does the Lord say? Verse 4. Be careful. Be quiet. Do not fear. Do not let your heart be faint. Because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrand. <laughs> two smoldering stumps of firebrand. What's the Lord saying? He's saying, Ahaz, don't be afraid. Be quiet. Just be quiet. Be careful. Don't worry about this. Look at verse 7. The Lord says, it shall not come to pass. In other words, Israel and Syria, they're no ultimate threat to you, Ahaz. I realize they're all ganged around. They've got, the, they've got the city surrounded. They're doing everything they can to evade, but it's not going to succeed. It's not, it's not going to succeed. Syria's plans to conquer Judah. Israel's plans to conquer Judah will set Tabiel up as king and Ahaz his place. It's not going to come to pass. It's not going to succeed. Relax. Then Isaiah says in verse 11, ask for a sign. Ask for a sign, Ahaz. Go ahead. Ask the Lord for a sign. But Ahaz, in a line of pretended piety, responds in verse 12, Oh, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Calvin said of these words, if, <laughs> if the Lord says you need a sign, you need a sign. <laughs> That's Calvin. If the Lord says you need a sign, you need a sign. Ahaz doesn't need a sign. Isaiah said in verse 7, verse 13, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Verse 14, therefore. Why did we pause at the word therefore when we were reading this verse earlier? Because there's so much significance to the word therefore. It's often pointed out that the word therefore is a word of judgment in this verse. This Christmas verse that we look at all the time has a word of judgment in it. It's the word therefore. Oh, you don't want to ask for a sign, Ahaz? You don't want to ask for You're going to weary me, Ahaz? I'm going to give you a sign anyway. Therefore, you're going to get a sign. That's the point. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel. So much ink has been spilled over this verse. The word virgin, is it really a virgin in view? Liberalism and neoliberalism of the 19th and 20th centuries attempted to explain that language away, but the best scholarship has been abundantly conclusive. A virgin is in view. What's in view here? A virgin, miraculously, supernaturally, giving birth to a child. That's what this passage says. 
That's what this passage means. Now, what would that have meant to Ahaz? Well, a lot of ink has been spilled on that issue as well. But quite frankly, I don't suppose this would have meant anything to Ahaz. I don't think it would have meant anything to him. I imagine he would have been puzzled by its meetings. He might have, virgins don't have children. Isaiah, what are you talking about? Isaiah, have you lost your mind? How are we to understand the verse? Well, you remember last week I said that Scripture is Scripture's best interpreter? Scripture is Scripture's best interpreter? Well, if keep your place in, in Isaiah 7 and turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew interprets this for us. Well, we all know the interpretation. But it's great to read, isn't it? Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. Now, the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Look at, look at verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Don't that warm your soul? Who's the virgin? She's Mary. But what that, what would that have meant? What would that have meant to Ahaz? Again, I don't think I don't think it would have meant anything to him. I don't think I would have taken that line, though, 10 years ago. I know I wouldn't have. I think I've preached on this text before, and I think that if I were to go back and listen to my sermons 10 years ago, I probably would have at this point said, well, it's widely believed. It's this, this, and this. But I've been doing this for a while, and I've been telling people about Jesus for a long time. And by God's grace, a few of them have embraced Jesus. But for the most part, this hasn't meant anything to them. At least as best I can tell. I don't know another person's heart. The sad part is, not all these people are with us any longer. When you start doing this, and you do this for a while, as some of you have, some of the people that you were really trying to reach out to, zealously trying to reach for Jesus, they pass away. Where are their souls? I don't know. I'm not going to pretend to know. I look to the goodness of God in this. He's full of surprises. And I like to think I'm going to see, that we're going to see some of these folks. But what does, what does the message of a virgin giving birth to a child mean to so many people? It doesn't mean anything. And I think that's the point here. 
I think it's important. Look at the difference between Ahaz and Isaiah. It's not like I it's not like Isaiah is safely calling up Ahaz from the phone. You know? It's not like it's not like Ahaz Isaiah is out on an aircraft carrier somewhere, all you know, hundreds of miles away from these invading armies, and he's calling up Ahaz and he's saying, I got a word from the Lord, you know. Isaiah's right there with him. These armies that are camped around, these armies that are trying to invade. Isaiah's in it there. But Isaiah's bold as a lion. Ahaz. Ahaz is full of anxiety. He's shaking. If you're not firm in the faith, you're never going to be firm at all. It's often pointed out that Ahaz has three choices. He has three choices. Maybe there are more, but it seems that he has only three choices. He could join forces with Israel and Syria, and that would put that that would calm them down. They would they would quit beating up on Judah. They wouldn't want to weaken Judah. They would want to strengthen Judah. He could do that. So he could join forces with Israel and Syria. He could call up Assyria and make an alliance with Assyria. Call up Assyria and say, hey, uh, Let's be friends. And then what would Assyria do? Well, Assyria would go after Israel and Syria, and what would that do? Well, they'd have to quit beating up on Judah. They'd have to leave Judah alone, and it would take everything they have to defend themselves against Assyria. That's another option for it. There's a third option. He could trust the message that Isaiah has given him. He could put his trust in the Messiah that Isaiah is speaking about. The message of a Messiah. What does Ahaz do? Well, the sacred history is clear. Ahaz put his trust in Assyria. He raided the temple for its silver and gold and sent it to Assyria. And he made other gods. And he placed those other gods in the temple area and move some of the temple furniture around to accommodate those gods. He chose to put his trust in Assyria. The message of a Messiah meant nothing. Tammy and I watched a a little of the end of a Christmas program. Um, I don't know if it was last week, maybe it was the week before, I don't know. Tammy was flipping through the stations, and I heard the music. Oh, man, these... The music was great. The musicianship was... I won't say who it was. I don't want to do that. But the musicianship was fantastic. And they had written these songs about the meaning of Christmas. And I was listening to their lyrics and I was thinking to myself, no thinking person could make any sense of these lyrics. These lyrics make no sense whatsoever. I mean, the best I could get out of those lyrics is what they were saying then is that Christmas doesn't mean anything other than getting what we want. That's the meaning of Christmas. Not everybody gets what they want. Most of us don't get what we want. Isn't that what Mick Jagger was singing about? I'm gonna, I, I, I gotta tell you, I think Mick Jagger's got a better song. You can't always get what you want. 
But if you try sometime, you just might find you get what you need. Mick Jagger's a better theologian than these clowns writing songs for Christmas. Far better theologian. What's that make us like? Makes us like Ahaz. How things turn out for Ahaz. You know, Ahaz wasn't buried with the kings. Read it. Read the history. Get out 2 Kings. Get out 2 Chronicles. Read the history. There wasn't enough respect warranted for Ahaz for him to be buried with the other kings. I don't think Ahaz was on C-SPAN. I, I don't think... I don't think that folks left Bible study and clicked on C-SPAN and watched Ahaz's funeral. It was ruined. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. What does that mean to you this morning? Does it, does it mean anything? Or does it mean everything? Does it mean anything? Or does it mean Everything. There's the application I'm trying to make here this morning is this. There's a lot of things that we could be afraid of today in this world. Seemingly a growing number of things. I won't even... I mean, I could talk about identity theft. I could talk about a terrorism. I mean, we could just go on. There's so many things that we could be afraid of. I met this woman... Friday, I think it was. And I believe she's a believer. I believe she's a Christian. I know she's very zealous with what she believes. I think she's got some grounding issues. You know, like uh, there's a ground problem. She was fussing over they. Do you realize what they are trying to do? They are trying to do this. They are trying to set up this order. They're trying to do this. They're trying to do that. I'm listening to her and I'm thinking to myself as she's talking like, yeah, I mean, yeah, Satan is trying to destroy Christians. He's always been trying to destroy Christians. But I'm thinking of the most famous psalm in the Psalter as she's talking. You know, I'm thinking of Psalm 23. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thy rod and thy staff will comfort me. That's how Isaiah can be bold as a lion. While Ahaz is shaking like trees before him. If, if you're not in Christ, you're going to shake like the trees before the wind until one day you come to ruin. That's what's going to happen if you're not in Christ. That's a simple thing to say to one another, isn't it? It needs to be said in love. I don't think it should be the first thing that we say. But it is something we need to leave people with. If you're not in Christ, you are going to shake like trees before the wind, until one day you come to eternal ruin. That's what the Bible teaches. 
But if you're in Christ and you're trusting Christ, then hear the word of the Lord spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Verse 4. Be careful. Be quiet. Do not fear. Do not let your heart be faint. Isn't that what Jesus says to him? When He says, don't let your heart be troubled. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I have come so that I may go and prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be also. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this anxiety-reducing truth. Oh, Father, though we say, what do we say to the, in response to this, O oh Lord? That you would love us so very much to give us a Savior. That you would love us so very much to give us these great promises and these great truths of which we've been seeing. And we see, Father, you gave these truths in troubled times. You gave this sign in an awful time. These are dreadful times, dreadful moments. Oh, Father, as we face dreadful times, we have the same sign. Oh, Father, we know and can see how you fulfilled that great promise. Behold, the virgin shall be with child. 2,000 years ago, Father, we see Mary giving birth to Jesus. Father, we see the ministry of Jesus. We see the perfect life and perfect record. We see His crucifixion taking our place and suffering in our stead and His glorious resurrection and the new life that He brings and His ascension to the right hand of God the Father. For Lord, as we sang, the, the child has become Lord of history. Oh, Father, we thank you and praise you. Press these things upon our hearts, Lord. Reduce our anxiety. Put verse 4 of our text to our hearts, O oh Lord. Be quiet. Be careful. Trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.